You know, we've been talking about this thing of learning about God and how he wants us to live. It's not natural for us. And the fact that most of us in our human way, our natural way, we still have natural ideas because we still are encased in this body of flesh that carries us around. And it'll always be sinning. But in all of that, we find that it doesn't come to us easy sometimes to live in a way that God wants us to live. And we certainly can't think it out, so we can't use our mind for that stuff. We have to use the Holy Spirit's teaching that's in our body. So we have a great dependency on the Holy Spirit. And that's what God intended. And it's not preached anymore. Very few people understand how to be close friends with that Holy Spirit that's inside of them. They don't understand to listen to it. They understand listening to their conscience. And we've learned from stuff we've studied here that the Holy Spirit works on our conscience after we are Christians to change our conscience, to make it a conscience that belongs to a Christian so that it would encourage us and, and scold us when we don't do right to do things that the Bible teaches we need to be doing. So, so much of this stuff that Jesus is teaching us that we need to do every day as Christians in order to please him, we have to do by faith. Okay, Lord, I don't quite understand, but if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And then you get a blessing from doing it, and then you see, well, I must have been doing it right. But because we're human, we want a list of things that are do's and don'ts. And we try to make a list, so we won't do the things that we're that are under the don't list and we try to do the things that are under the do list. That is not the way it works. There is no list. Some of the greatest scholars of the Bible that have ever lived have come to this conclusion. The only way that you're going to learn to live with Jesus Christ and do it like God wants, us to, wants you to is to wake up every morning and say to yourself, I'm going to do what Jesus calls me to do that day. And whatever it is, you do it. Because you see, that thing changes every day, and we'll see that. So it's very hard for a preacher. It's, it's a simple way to do it, and a lot of people try. I wouldn't touch it. Because I was made to understand how different each one of us are. We were created different. And we equip different when we get saved. Jesus gives each one of us a gift of the Spirit, and all of them are different. So that means when we see problems, each one of us approach that problem in a different way. And somebody says, well, is he doing it right? Well, you see, he doesn't have to do it like you do it to be right. 
And that's the hard part. So many folks are trying to find out what's right. And if it pleases Jesus, it's right. That's what it amounts to. So here's the thing. Each day we have to find out what Jesus wants us to do that day. And we do it. As we move, we do it. We get up. Men folks shave. Women folks comb their hair. We put on our clothes and we get ready for the day, whatever it is. And as we seek to follow Jesus, he shows us what to do all day long. That's the job of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. But everybody's job is not the same, and everybody's way is not the same, and everybody's thoughts are not the same, and we need to take that into, into consideration. That's the reason in the 14th chapter of, of Romans, Paul says, don't judge another man. Because he has to answer to his master. And if his master is pleased with him in the way he's doing things, then you need to be pleased too. So it stops us from saying, well, he's not doing that like we do it. Well, maybe God's not even calling him to do it that way. So that's the reason I entitled this message closed-minded. And a lot of us are. And the Bible talks about people who are closed-minded. Now, one thing I've learned since I was called to be a preacher at 60, which was pretty far along in my years, I learned that one of the biggest problems that people have that they want to talk to me about is that somebody they love is not living like they want them to. And they're trying to figure out a way to change them. And I got one answer for all of that. You pray for it. That's all you can do. If you try to do any more, you're going to get a problem. And it bothers people because people they love aren't living like they want them to live. But you see, we can't let it bother us to the extent that it kills our day. God's got stuff expected out of us today too. And if I'm so torn up about what somebody did yesterday or last week or last month that I can't operate today, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So, so much of that stuff, even though we feel responsible, we love them, we want them to do different, we have to let it slide and go about our day. And that's hard for some people to do. So I can't tell you exactly how you're supposed to live today, nor tomorrow. The only thing I can say that I know that God would have us do is to keep an open mind about everything. Everything. Because you don't know the next thing he's going to ask you to do. And you got to come up with, if God asked me to do it, it's right, isn't it? Yes, if he asked, it's right. But he asked some weird things. But then there again, we're peculiar people, he said. So if you don't want to be peculiar, you're in the wrong business because all these normal people around you are going to point to you and say, he sure is weird. But you see, that's the way we got to live. For Jesus to go tell Peter, said, we got to have some tax money. He said, go get the fish out of the ocean, catch the first fish, you'll find a coin in his mouth you can go pay your taxes with it. Now you tell me how normal that is. Jesus didn't live normal. He doesn't intend for us to live normal. 
That's the reason he gave us so much power, people. You have a power that you have no idea about. And God intends for us to utilize that power. Now, because there are nine spiritual gifts, and when we see problems, we approach that problem from the spiritual gift that we have. You see, some folks have the gift of giving. God give, sends money to them, and they fix problems with their money. And then you have other people who say, well, all he wants to do is give money. He's not about to do any work. But you see, that's what he's called to do. You've got other people that have the gift of help. When somebody gets in a jam, first thing they're going to do is volunteer. Let's go help them. Now somebody says, well, what's right? All of it's right. All of it's right because God has approached us in different ways and he intends for us to do things right in different ways. But if we want to understand this relationship we have with Jesus, we've got to understand that God is going to put desires in you that you didn't have before you got to be concerned about what God wants. Desires to help other people, to fix other people, to deal with weaknesses in other people, to meet other people's needs if we've got it there to, to use for them. And so you see, we create an influence with everybody we're around. You can be walk up to a group of people who are drinking mixed drinks, let's just use for an example, and somebody can say, would you like one? And you can say no. That's all you need to do is say no if you don't want one. But you see what they think is, well, I wonder if he thinks he's better than us. You know, if you start talking about, no, I never drink. Well, then they know you think you're better than them. You don't do that. You don't hurt feelings. They might have not been told by God not to drink. And so they do. That's the point I'm trying to make. You have got to be so careful in keeping people from thinking that you're think, you think that you're above them. Because I tell you, if you, they get one idea like that, they will not listen to you when you talk about Jesus. They won't. That's what they talk about hypocrites. They live one way and talk another way. Well, now, really and truly, aren't we all that way? <laughs> I don't want you to find out everything I do, but I'm not going to tell you everything I do either. So I guess that makes me a hypocrite too. But let me say this. When we run into people that we meet that don't seem to have Jesus, we approach them in the way that God has equipped us for them to have their needs met and then at some point we mention Jesus and we let them know if there's anything about us that they like, they say, I wish I could be like him or I wish I could be like her. And if they ask you, how do you do what you do? The answer is always Jesus and you put him in front of them, and then they start associating what they like about you with the fact that Jesus has equipped you to do that. A peaceful attitude 
is what Jesus gives people who are living his way. He gives them a blessing, and that blessing usually includes a peaceful attitude. It doesn't seem to be worrying somebody, building them up with anxiety every time they turn around. But then there are other people you're going to run into that have some problems that are pretty well described in the Bible. And we'll look at two of them today. There are some people you will run into that you can't do anything with. They might even be people you love. But they're closed-minded. And they don't care what you've got to say. They're not going to listen. But there's a couple of things I think we need to know that in my Christian life, I have heard these things and I found out in my Bible studies they're not true. And you need to know it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, and you don't have to turn there, nobody has an excuse, the Bible says. Don't listen to excuses. If you bring up some kind of issue with somebody, the normal response is for them to excuse themselves. God says don't any of us have an excuse. Not any of us. We all need to be and have every right to be just like Jesus. And because we're not, there's no reason to throw an excuse up. I have heard in my church life, all my church life, that God hates the sin and loves the sinner. That's not what the Bible says. In Psalms chapter 5 and verse 4, if you want to turn there, if you want the proof that that is not what God says, then it's there for you. Chapter 5 and verse 4 says, David said, he wrote the fifth psalm, and he said, For thou art a God that, not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil travel with, ye, with him. God doesn't take any pleasure in being around people that sin. And the next verse says, the foolish shall not stand in God's sight. And it's, David said, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. So it's not just a sin God hates. He hates the sinner too. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. I thought you said we were all sinners. We are. You mean he hates me? No. But you see, that begs for an explanation. When God talks about sinners, you get over in 1 John, back over in the end of the Bible, and, first, and John starts talking about, you Christians are not sinners. You've been living so long that you don't choose to sin. There's the word right there. When God talks about sinners, that he hates sinners, it's people who wake up in the morning and they know what sin is, and they choose to do it anyhow. And they do, they've done it so much that it becomes a habit with them, and they're doing it all day, every day. 
He hates that. But he loves sinners. That's us who are born again. And for those who are going to be born again, he loves them too. And for those of us whom God is going to save, he's been watching us all our lives, keeping us out of a jam. We'll see that. The principle number one is that some people have done so many bad things for so long and have gotten away with them that the scripture says they've seared their conscience with a hot iron. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now let me clear something up first. I don't guess too many of you have been in the branding business. I've branded cattle and horses all my life. And I learned that when you first put that hot iron to them, they jump. But if you hold it there just a little bit, it has already killed the nerve endings where you touch them with that hot iron, and they don't feel it anymore. That's the thing I've described several times about branding 200, 250 head of cattle in a day, what things you begin to learn about it. And you begin to relate stuff. And I found out that what the Bible actually says is for those people who wind up in hell, they burn and they're in pain forever. Their nerve endings never die. So they've still got feeling in the places where they've gotten too hot. That's a horrible thing. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, not the last days, but in the latter, the later days, that's what we're in right now, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith they'll leave Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Giving heed to seducing spirits, they listen to Satan and they do what he wants them to do, and doctrines of devils. Now, there's one thing you need to know about our scripture. Our scripture talked about demons and it talked about devils. Poor, there is only one devil. But it calls the demons, the ones that follow him, devils, plural. So when it's speaking of devils, it's talking really about demons because there's only one devil. But what it says is in the latter days, people are going to leave the teachings of Jesus and they're going to follow Satan. My TV's full of those folks. I don't know about yours, but mine is. They're going to speak lies in hypocrisy having their consciences seared with a hot iron. 
When you see somebody that can stand on your TV or stand in your living room or stand on the street or wherever you happen to be, look you dead in the face and tell you a lie that you know is a lie and he doesn't even, his eyelids don't even wiggle when he does it. They gotten good at it. You know why? Because they've done it a lot. They've done it so most people that's not used to telling lies, if they tell you a lie, they'll duck their head or they'll look off and you can tell. But some folks aren't. They can tell lies and never you can never figure it out. And you see some people today, I see it on my TV. I don't look at Facebook or whatever unless she calls me over to look at something that's just particularly interesting. But you can see those people lying to you and they look at it and you know they lie. And they've gotten so good at it, you can't tell it. But now there's one thing, because we're here in this scripture, there's a couple of things I want to tell you. It's interesting, so many people are so concerned about climate change. You've heard about it, haven't you? Isn't it on your TV all day long? Has it got you concerned about our climate is changing so that the North Pole is going to melt and flood us all with water? Listen to this. The way you can understand the people who are telling you lies and are following what Satan says instead of what Jesus says, look at verse 3. They're telling you, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from eating meats. Who are the people that are telling you that we don't need to eat any more meat? The climate change people. They say that our ozone, all the animals we got, the ozone is being destroyed by animals. They've never even looked back in history to the extent that they found out they, they want to do away with cows. They're working hard to do away with cows all over the United States. People are having to sell their own beef on their own farm and dress them themselves because so many people have quit eating meat and are scared to eat meat. But the climate change people tell us we got to do away with cows. They never looked to see that there was a whole lot more buffaloes here before people, there were that many people in the United States than there are cows now. So why didn't all this climate change happen 200 years ago? If it's because of cows. But it's not. But that's one thing that God told us about 2,000 years ago. Be looking for this, he says, because it'll come. Well, now that we know we're in the latter days. Why? Because there are people here trying to get us to do away with cows. So if you're worried about climate change, quit worrying about it because it's not going to happen. And if you happen to be, feel like that yesterday was hotter than any other day since you've been born, don't believe it. Records were set 100 years ago that had days hotter than yesterday. But it travels in cycles. But what I'm trying to tell you is these people have told so many lies. They've dealt with so many untruths. Their conscience will say, hey, that's a lie. You don't need to tell that. And they say, hush, get back, conscience. And they go ahead and do it anyhow. 
and they have done it so much that the conscience says, I'm sick and tired of trying to keep this person straight. I'll just quit telling him anything. Because what they've done, they burned their conscience with a hot iron till Ephesians says they don't have any feeling anymore in it. So they do things and they could care less about you and about me and about the American people because they're trying so hard to be in power and have all the money and be the boss of everything. And to do that, they destroyed their conscience on the way. That's the kind of people they're talking about. Those kind of people you're not going to get very far with and tell them about anything about Jesus. They're not going to listen. Might even argue with you. That's another reason we're not supposed to argue. They don't have any guilt. You have guilt. You tell a lie, you probably got to go back tomorrow and tell the person you told him a lie because your guilt is eating you alive, making you feel bad. But these people don't have any guilt. They have disobeyed their conscience so much. Now, there's something else you need to understand. In the first chapter of Romans, anybody can go there and read it, there is a process by which a person gets lower and lower and lower and lower. Now, let me explain this to you. If you choose to do bad, then God says you ought not to chose that. And so then another issue comes along. Satan tempts you to do more bad. You choose to do more bad. Then you come along and Satan's already had a couple of pretty good runs with you, so he's coming after you again. And you get, he tempts you to do something else bad and you choose to do that. And God says, oh, so it's sin you want, is it? And so he just reaches and pushes you a little bit further down. Do what? God causes you to make a choice to have more sin? Yes, he does. It outlines it plain. It uses a, the word, it, he gave them up. There are people who have chosen to do bad things so much that God gave them up. And that gave them up means that he helped them get a little bit lower. Then they keep, instead of repenting, that's what Jesus said. When he came to this earth, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. Jesus is going to rule here close. And people just kept choosing to do bad things. And God keeps letting them go down. And that whole narrative in the first chapter of Romans gives me the impression that God has got a kind of like got us on a set of strings like a puppet. And he won't let us go but just so low. Now I don't know whether you look back in your life and whatever your life has been, there's been some thing that you didn't like because you hadn't learned yet not to do them. And if you're like me, there are some sins that you have chosen to do that you fully intended to do and God wouldn't let you do them. Have you ever thought about a situation like that? 
where you chose to do something wrong and God wouldn't let you. He worked it out to where you couldn't do it. Because you see, there are some sins that have permanent marks. They go with you the rest of your life. I had no idea. I was raised in church. I was baptized at 10. I was a good little Baptist boy. And I've been in church all my life. I never had any idea God would call me to preach at 60 years old. If I had been allowed to do some of the things I wanted to do back in the day, my reputation would be such that at this point now, nobody would listen to me. I couldn't be a preacher. And what I'm saying is, it wasn't my good ways that kept me from doing them. It was God. And I see that now. He wouldn't let me go as low as I wanted to. Even though I had chosen. And we'll see that in some scripture. He holds some of us up out of the sin we want to commit. I've seen that. Maybe you have seen that in your life. God has a lifetime plan. He started out with a lifetime plan with you back before he created the world. He knew that one day you would be born on a certain day. And he knew also that on a certain day you would die. And he knew that with, between your being born and your dying, there were certain things that he wanted you to do. And he couldn't let you get to the place to where you couldn't do them. He has things that he wanted you to be and he had things he wanted you to do. And he couldn't let you mess up his plan by not knowing any better. There's another thing. That's the thing that God talks about in that we, we sear our conscience to where our conscience doesn't try to keep us straight. There's some other scriptures, the other description of people in, 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 in our society that we'll run into and you need to know about them or when you run into them because they'll shock you if you don't. But if you understand that God knows about them too, it's not near as big a deal. God hardens people's hearts too. You know what a hard heart is? You probably had it at one time or another but you can't have it anymore. God doesn't want you to have it. If we don't obey him, there's times when he'll harden our hearts. The Bible is plain about that. We chose first to be bad, and then he made us bad because we chose to be that way. And sometimes, he blinds people's minds to where they can't see. That's the principle number two. First, he sears our conscience. We sear our conscience. And he allows us to go lower and lower. And then he hardens our mind. These two principles are very evident in the scriptures. If you won't turn to Exodus 
chapter 31, and by his own word, he tells us what he did. If you remember the story about Pharaoh, he sent his people to Egypt for 400 years, the Israelites, to be in slavery. And he called Moses to go get them out of slavery. And he told Moses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return to Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh. He's just been teaching Moses. He gave him the rod, and he asked him to throw it down, and it turned into a snake. He asked him to pick it back up, and it turned back into a stick again. And he's told him a bunch of things to do, and he said, All these things I want you to do in front of Pharaoh because we're going to try to change his mind and get him to allow my people to come out of slavery in Egypt. See that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. I've taught you these things. I've given you the power to do these things, these miracles. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. You say, well, Pharaoh chose to do that. Yes, but if Pharaoh hadn't chosen to do it, God would have hardened his heart anyhow. That was in God's plan. God had to have a Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the whole world at the time, to say, you're not going back to Israel with, 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 with those people because I won't let you. That was required in order for God to show the whole world who he was. He had to have an enemy to work his wonders with. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart so Pharaoh didn't have a choice. You know, Jesus talked about Judas that way. God hardened Judas's heart too. Judas didn't have a choice. Pharaoh didn't have a choice. He had to be bad because God hardened his heart. But over in Hebrews chapter 4, it's a long ways to the back, but if you'll flip over in there, I would like to show you something else. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3, He's talking about those people that Moses brought out, God's chosen people, his favorite people, just like us. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. They didn't have an excuse. Remember what I said? Nobody has an excuse. He said the gospel was preached to us just like it was preached to the Israelites. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, faith in them that heard it. So they heard the gospel. The Israelites, God's chosen people, heard about God, but they never did produce any faith. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as it is said that I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, 
although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God did all this before we ever even created the world to start with and made all these decisions about what we're going to do today. And he's trying to explain to us the gospel was preached to you, Christian, but it was preached to them too, and a lot of them didn't believe. In verse 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You do that. You hear God's voice. He's telling you, do this, do that. Or maybe he says it this way. You know you ought to be doing this. You know you ought to be doing what the preacher said. You know you ought to be doing what the Sunday school teacher said. You know you ought to be doing what your mama said, your daddy said. You ought to be doing what the policeman said. Anybody that has any authority around you, a lot of times the Holy Spirit says, you know you ought to be doing what you're supposed to. He commands us, the writer of Hebrews, don't. Harden your heart. Don't set your face, is another word, means the same thing. Don't say, I'm not going to believe that. I don't care where it comes from. But wait a minute, doesn't it come from the Bible? Well, yes. You mean to tell me there's places in the Bible you don't believe? And usually that doesn't bring an answer. Why? Because we harden our hearts and we're not going to believe what God is trying to tell us. So God hardens hearts and we harden our own heart. You've run into people like that. You've run into people when you made a statement about what God's doing. They say, that's just a bunch of junk. I don't believe that. But you see, it's right here in Scripture and verse. But I still don't believe it. Okay. Okay. You're asking for it. I've got to tell you that. You're asking for it. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. You do it. The de definition of hardened, a hard heart, is one that is obstinate. You know that word. We use it all the time today. A lot of kids, you know, say, well, he's an obstinate little something, you know. Yeah, he is. He won't listen. He won't believe. It also means unfeeling. He don't care. But don't you see? If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to spank you. I don't care. That's before the spanking. But if you spank him and you do it like God wants you to do, he'll care after you spank him. He'll remember that. He hardens people and you harden yourself. And then there's one more. He blinds people. 
God does that. And Satan does that. And we'll look at that in Romans 11 and verse 7. What then? He's talking about the Israelites again. Because you see, in the New Testament, it hadn't been written at the time that all this is going on. All they had was the Old Testament. So he's got to talk about the only people who were chosen in the Old Testament was Israel, the Jews. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Why is it some people are not saved? If you're the elect, sooner or later you're going to be saved. But the rest of the people, maybe, you don't know this, but maybe have been blinded by God to where they can't understand it. They'll never believe because they chose not to believe when they heard it. They didn't have an excuse. When they first heard it, it says in Romans chapter 1 that they chose not to retain what they knew about God in their mind. They threw it out. They heard it, they understood it, and they threw it out. And they lived without God. And the rest, they were blinded. God blinded them. According as it is written, verse 8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, of sleep, eyes that they should not hear, see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. The Jews that you know that do not believe in Jesus Christ today still are under this. They don't believe. Why? God still got them blinded. Now he says in the last days that the that 144,000 of them will repent and turn to Jesus. He'll take that blindness off their eyes and then they'll see to believe. And in 2 Corinthians, just a few pages over, verse four, or chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says, but if our gospel Fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Of course, the gospel wouldn't be hidden to them that are saved because they saw it and believed it. So the only people who it could be, you could say where it was hidden from, are those that are not yet saved in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan has blinded their mind. Now look, the way it's got to happen is this. If they don't have an excuse, they heard about it, but they didn't believe. They chose not to believe. They had a closed mind. They decided they wasn't going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then when, after they chose, God allowed Satan to blind them to where if you approached them again with the gospel, they wouldn't believe it again. The first time they chose not to, the second time Satan blinded them. 
where they couldn't believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. God talks about lightness and darkness. In God's words, light and dark is knowledge and ignorance. When you are in the light and you have the light of the word, you know. When you're in the dark, you're ignorant of whatever information is out there. That's what he talks about when he talks about being in the light and being in the dark. He talks about let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine. The light that you let shine is your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the things of God. So if you're around people and they get curious about why you're doing what you do or the way you do it, they're seeing your light. And they think you know something that they don't know. And they ask you about it. Then you can share Jesus with them. Let me tell you something, folks. I have seen it. To where somebody would come up to somebody else and ask them a question that they wondered about, about God, about Jesus, or about the Bible, simply because they saw somebody's car parked in front of church on Sunday morning. That's the only reputation you had. Now, they're not asking you because they know you know. They're asking you because they think you know. Now, there's something else. When you get asked a question, just in casual conversation, the one thing you've got to understand about people who are in the dark, who don't know about something, maybe a Christian, maybe an unsaved person, but they don't know something that God would have them know. And they've asked you because something about you gave them an idea that maybe you know. You have got to give them hope, people. You've got to leave that person with hope in his heart because they've already learned that when people don't give those people hope, they perk up a little bit for a couple of days because it helps just to know that somebody else knows your problem. But in three days, usually they say, they will sink lower than they were before. They'll really get in the pits because they ask you thinking God had an answer to their problem and you didn't give them one. So they figure that God must not have a solution for their problem too. And there's something you need to understand. There is a solution to everybody's problem in this book right here. It's every problem you've got. There's a solution in there. Somebody may not know exactly where to find it, but it's in there. So what I do, I tell people that ask me, well, the answer to your problem is in the book. 
and it's in 2 Timothy chapter whatever, and you give them the scriptures, and you tell them what the Bible says, or you tell them the answer to your problem is in the book. I don't know where it is, but I'll go home and find it, and when I do, I'll call you and tell you where it is. Because you see, you've got to leave people with hope. Peter says over there in one of the last books in the Bible, you always need to have a reason for people who ask you, why do you have hope? They see hope in you. And when they have lost their hope, they want to know why you hope. And you've got to come up with a reason for doing that. And when you give them hope, then that gets them a little further along the trail to Jesus Christ, you see. That's the way it works. But if you tell, don't give them an answer, they figure God doesn't have an answer. That's a terrible place to be, to believe that God does not have an answer for me. But he does, you see, and most of you know that. So make sure you convey that to the people that you meet. Because in this life, you're going to run into people who you see your influence not working on. The things that you have tried to be and the things you've tried to do is not making an impression. Sometimes their conscience is seared to where they don't have any conscience anymore. They don't care. They could have their heart hardened by themselves or God and they're not listening and they're arguing or they can have been blinded to where they can't understand. And if they can't understand, you can talk from now on and nothing will work. So go about your way, the way that God has planned for you. It may be that you volunteer to go help them clean their house or something, but while you're there, you say a word for Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Is doing things for God that other people will see what you're doing and they'll say to themselves, if this is nothing other than just, you know, I've been knowing him all his life. I didn't figure he'd do anything like that. But I saw him and boy, he's doing some real good stuff. God must be making him do that because I know him. He wouldn't do it on his own. You see, God's got the glory out of that. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, folks, for me and you that we represent God through Jesus Christ on this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for caring enough for us to stop what you're doing long enough to instruct your Holy Spirit to make us understand what you're all about. So Lord, make sure we get it. Don't let it go over our head. Make sure that we understand and we know when we're talking with somebody else, if they're not responding, these are the reasons they could be and it could be that they can't help it at all. So Lord, we thank you for the way you got things worked. 
just cause us to be a part of it in the way that you think we ought to be. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory for it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.